it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast here on a Thursday. I am Dan Lobby and I am joined today by Tim Bielek and Lance Reisland. Tim, of course, is our resident draft expert at Cleveland.com. Lance Reisland, our resident film expert. So we are going to uh, do this every Thursday here. We're going to talk draft. We're going to get into uh, some needs for the Browns, players we like. We're going to go through some positions as we go along, all leading up to the draft at the end of April. Tim, how are you? All right, it's uh, one of the best best months of the year for me right now, draft month. Even though the Browns don't have a pick in the first two rounds, it's always one of my favorite sporting events of the calendar. And Lance, welcome. How are you? Absolutely, Dan. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm very excited to do this. Absolutely. The draft has always been one of my favorites, especially getting into that third that third day. I always love those guys who are kind of unknown, so I'm looking forward to this. Okay, so let, let's just start here. Uh, Tim, you mentioned that the Browns do not have a pick in the first two rounds. I'm going to ask you this. This wasn't on the script I sent you, but, um, you know, you've worked with me. You know, I kind of go off the rail sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking for in a draft when a team doesn't have a pick in those first two rounds? I'm, I'm looking, you know, just to kind of see, you know, just how, like, what they're kind of valuing is, are they looking for guys who are immediate impact guys or guys that could be rotational that they hope could be kind of starters in two to three years? And I think sometimes in draft weekends, everybody gets swept up with some of these picks, you know, that like every guy is going to start immediately or whatever, or they're all going to be pro bowlers. It's not the case. I mean, you, inevitably in every draft, there's going to be one or two guys that don't pan out for whatever reason no matter who's drafting for you, whether, you know, it's John Schneider, Ozzie Newsom, or whoever. I mean, drafts inevitably are going to have those kind of players. And I think Mm -hmm. as excited as, you know, people can be over some draft picks, I do think there are times where you kind of have to temper some of those expectations for certain guys. But you never know when you can find that hidden gem or, you know, that guy who could be an impact starter pretty quickly. I mean, I don't think anybody expected Martin Emerson, you know, their third-round pick to kind of jump in a year ago and really – become part of that three-man rotation at corner and, you know, play as well as he did as a rookie. Yeah, and Lance, I think that's something we've seen with with this Browns team. You know, Tim mentioned Martin Emerson, but we also have seen, um, you know, a guy like Tony Fields, right, didn't play a whole lot his rookie year, didn't even play a whole lot, you know, to start this season other than special teams. But, you know, he's a guy that um, at at least looks like he can be a contributor on defense now as as he moves forward. You really are just kind of looking for – some players who maybe, you know, for every Martin Emerson, there could be a, you know, a Jordan Elliott or a Jacob Phillips that they might not really even consider guys who can contribute until years three or four. 
Well, I'm always looking forward as I get get into this. I'm always looking for are they looking to fill a need? Or are they looking to take the best player? And uh, and do they kind of have like you and I have talked about defensive end and defensive line? Do they have their body types they like and the style they like and the, the secondary and the length and the height and things like that? And obviously age, uh, which is something that you know you've brought to me in terms of how he, uh, you know, how Barry uh, drafts guys based on age and, and things like that. So for me, it's. Um, do you take the best available? Obviously, after free agency, uh, the Browns have filled a lot of holes. Um, those holes have been filled on paper, not on the field, uh, like I always like to say. But they have filled a lot of holes, so now where do they go? Do they go to to fill needs, or do they say, you know what, this is the best guy? And, you know, what I've learned is that he kind of likes the best guy, but there are, some, there are some depth issues as I look at the roster that I think they really need to attack. Okay, so let's get to it. Uh, let, let's just start here. What do each of you consider to be the Browns' biggest need at this point, now that we're through free agency and we are focused pretty much fully on the draft? Tim, what do you look at on this roster and feel is the biggest need? I think they still need some edge help. You know, another quality pass rusher, even a guy that can just be kind of a sub-package, third-down pass rusher type is something I think they're missing. Obviously, I've, I think Obo Okoronkwo is a pretty underrated signing up. I think he's a guy that, you know, given more of an opportunity, you know, as we saw in Houston a year ago, he produced really well. I'm cur- I think he could do pretty well again this year because he's got Miles Garrett on the other side to take some attention away from him. But, you know, outside of those guys, you got Alex Wright, who's still kind of developing. You know, he, was, he showed a lot of rawness last year, as I think I kind of expected he would. So it's uncertain what kind of step he's going to take. But even if you're counting on a big year from him, as we know with Jim Schwartz, he he likes to get pressure with that front four. He relies on those guys a lot. So getting another guy who can, you know, be an outside pass rusher to can really to really take some pressure off of Garrett and provide secondary pass rush is going to be important. And something I think to keep in mind, I actually wrote about this before, the Okoronkwo signing tells me that maybe the Browns could be looking for smaller pass rushers, you know, in the 240s, the 250s, because indeed if they do go to the Y9 style of edge rusher types – you're, you're looking for guys who, you know, the skill set's predicated on speed and bending. Can they, do they have the agility to get around the edge or whatever and create havoc that way? And plus, if you get a situational guy, it creates a situation. If you want to kick Miles Garrett inside on third down, you're more welcome to do that. It creates, it gives you more options. Lance, what, what are your thoughts on the edge rusher depth right here? We know me and Mary Kay and Ashley were talking about this on Wednesday's pod. Um, you know, we kind of I, – I agree with Tim. I think there's still a need for more edge rushers on this team. Well, I agree with you both. You know, and they need a, they need some more bodies in there, and they need some guys who – and I think they – with Schwartz, you get a little bit more flexibility in terms of they're going to be wide three. They're not only going to be in wide fives, wide nines, but they're also going to be in wide threes. So especially getting that third down situation, those guys can be flexible. So you need guys who can play inside or out. You can bump Miles down inside. Uh, he's still strong enough to hold up in there on double teams. I've always been big on the double teams. Uh, Dan, you know how I feel about this defensive tackles, but it's there's a lot of flexibility now with the wide, with this wide funnel technique. You know, there's always a um, it's two different types of defense. You're either going to spill everything to the outside or funnel everything inside. And I think um, the Browns now with this wide nine are going to be funneling things inside, so they have some versatility there. Guys who need to pass rush can also hold up. Um, still need some guys on first and second down that can hold up on those double teams and, and that wide zone and that inside zone. But I still think they need another body because right now you're relying on Wright to be the next guy in. And I'm not sure if he's quite ready yet. Uh, I think he's a big body. He's long. He's what the Browns seem to have liked before. 
Uh, but I think Tim is right. Maybe they're going to more of this like bendy kind of linebacker hybrid type of guy that it could get after the quarterback. So I still think there's some depth there for sure. They need some. Now, now, do you think that is, you know, the, the answer to the question? Is that your answer to the question or did you have another position in mind? Well, I went, you know, I try to get it like a top three because I always try to, you know, in case somebody, but I, I also think uh, inside linebackers in need and it's more because of the size of those linebackers. And I, you know, Schwartz, you're going to get a little bit more flexibility, but on the roster now, you're getting a little bit bigger up front, but those linebackers inside are smaller guys. And I know Walker's 230, but he's also, you know, he's 6'1". He's coming off an injury would be would be more my concern with him. I still think they need a big thumper in there, uh, a guy who can run, cover. Obviously, Schwartz, he's got to be able to cover and do some different things. Uh, he's got to be very dynamic, but I still think they need a big guy in there. Everything's going to be funneled to him, especially in that first and second down. So uh, I do think edge is the number one need, but when I think about a need that – that I think the Browns, they have to get a bigger guy inside, at least a guy that can develop down the road, a guy who can play tackle to tackle. Things are funneled into him on first and second down, and he, and he can help create those second and third long situations. Tim, do you, I mean, do you agree that that inside linebacker role is, is one the Browns should, should maybe try to address here? I think so. Yeah. I mean, you, I don't think this team could do enough investing on the front seven. It certainly should be an area to fill because I've, I've talked about it before this run defense was, you know, by DVOA, one of the worst in the last few seasons. They've done a pretty solid job. I think adding some pieces to that, you know, defensive tackle group, Dalvin Tomlinson as a starter, Tristan Hill, Maurice Hurst, you know, competing for depth spots. But I mean, I, I agree with Lance. I mean, if you can get a guy who can make a lot of tackles in the middle, you know, add some coverage flexibility, that'd be great. I mean, it's it's a little disappointing in that sense for the Browns. They don't have the 42nd pick or a second-round pick. Otherwise, you know, Iowa's Jack Campbell, I mean, would be an absolute perfect fit. I mean, does all those things, and not to mention he's an uber, uber athlete. You look at his relative athletic score, one of the best you could possibly get. I have got some texts from Lance about Jack Campbell. He was, he was a guy that Lance was starting to, to, to circle a little bit there, too. Well, you know, you went from – you see him on film, and he's got that, you know, kind of the Iowa mindset where he's going to be a thumper. He's tackle to tackle. Uh, then all of a sudden he tests through the roof. So now everything you see on film, now it gets you excited, gets you goosebumps as a football coach because now he's now he's a guy I can cover. He can, he can do whatever you need him to do. Short, he's great in a small area. He can go sideline to sideline. He's also a big man, big young kid, so he can take anything coming at him. So – yeah, when I when after I saw his um, combine stuff, I went back and watched the film, and then you get real excited because the film, you know, there is some weight room warriors out there, and, and we all know that at all levels. And I don't. And for him, he was a great football player, so I was assuming that he was going to test okay. Uh, but he is now he's an uber athlete. He might be the most gifted of all the linebackers. So yeah, I would love to see him in the orange and brown. He's he's really a good football player. Okay, I, I've got an answer to this question. I want to see if either of you go this way. Lance, is there a need on this team that no one is really talking about? You know, Ed Rusher has been a big one. Linebacker has been a big one. You know, we mentioned two of the big ones. But is there a need that, like, you know, you should circle this because nobody's really talking about it, but it's there. Wait, well, two, and I'm going to go. The one was the, the, my second was the slap corner. I think they need some slap corner depth. Obviously, Newsom doesn't want to play it, so there's some issue there. But the thing I have, the issue I have that moving forward is the offensive tackle position. And a lot of people have not talked about the offensive tackle position. But not only, I think those guys, I think Conklin, I think Wills, they have tremendous talent. But now this is a different offense in terms of uh, pass protection. And when you watch pass protection over the last three or four years with the Browns, a lot of it is based on the run game. So 
as an offensive tackle, you're reaching on zone, then you set the pass, or you're reaching on a gap scheme, stepping down to B gap and setting a pass. Now you're going to get these true empty three by one, three by two sets where you're going to kick step and you're going to have to defend against an edge rusher. And not that I don't think they can do that, but that's not kind of what they've been doing. So for, um, you know, being out of practice, that first 20 minutes of practice, uh, if you're a passing team, you're going through pass sets and they do that. But if you won't watch the Browns practice, they are absolutely a power run football team. They work on reaching on zone, backside on zone, those double teams, getting to the second level, pooling, all that power run stuff. Um, that's a lot different than setting the pass. And even when you set the pass, now I still think they got to marry it because as a coach, you know what you know. And Stefanski is a play action guy. So I still think they're going to use that. But Conklin coming off an injury, Jed Wells had some issues with pass protection last year. Some of those guys inside had uh, issues in terms of last part of the year, which is straight pass protection. So for me, a position that no one's talking about that they kind of got to figure out more what scheme they're going to be would be that offensive tackle. They got to really decide how they're going to marry Deshaun Watson's skills and Stefanski's mindset as being a play action uh, power run game guy. That's a good one. Tim, what do you have? Well, this one might make a little like Browns fans, you know, think, well, what is he thinking? Why is he saying this? But I'm going to say running back. And I say that, you know, I wrote this, I had a mailbag just a few days ago and I think there's an uncomfortable truth where we're, we're going to have to get to pretty soon. And that's Nick Chubb turns 28 this at the end of the year. This will be a sixth season in the NFL. You might have to start thinking about, you know, continuing to manage him. You know, is he going to be the same guy in two to three years or whatever? So that's number one reason for that. Number two, they don't really have a pass catching threat right out of that backfield. I mean, Nick Chubb can do it. It's not his forte. Jerome Ford, I know the Browns have Jerome Ford. Obviously, they like some of the things he did as a rookie, but didn't really have a lot of pass catching, you know, experience at Cincinnati either. So I think they need a guy who has the ability to be an impact player out of the backfield, you know, as a checkdown option for Deshaun Watson when he decides to freelance and he needs to get the ball out of his hands. And I was actually listening to you guys a few weeks ago, Lance, when you were talking about how the Browns don't have enough guys who make things easy as far as skill positions go, those guys who could ter- make something out of nothing. And and this is a draft class, I think, that has a lot, has quite a few guys, especially, you know, rounds three through five, or those guys that turn, can turn short catches, you know, one or two yards and turn it into eight to 10 to 20 yards to get those extra yards, make guys miss. And I think even when Kareem Hunt was with the team, that's something that I think they could have used a little more of to add a little more explosive elements of the passing game. So whether you're looking for a guy to, you know, be a third guy to split carries with, or just a pure third down back out there, who's going to, you know, run routes and be a guy that, you know, occupies the attention of a linebacker or a safety and frees up, you know, room for everybody else. I think that's an avenue to explore. That's an interesting one. I was not expecting that one, but I think with, with both of those, um, I think one of the things you're looking at is depth, right? You're looking at, Who's behind the guy? And when you kind of look at that depth chart and even, you know, look into the future a little bit, you kind of realize there maybe isn't someone on the roster right now who could fill in if somebody got hurt or, um, you know, could take over in a year or two if if necessary. And that's sort of the position that I'm looking at, too. Uh, So right now, the Browns' third and fourth safeties are DeAnthony Bell and Bubba Bolden. And that's not going to cut it. So that's why I think safety is a position that wouldn't nece- wouldn't necessarily surprise me if, if with their first pick, depending on who's there. But I think that's I, I think there's no doubt in my mind this team is going to take a safety at some point, Tim. 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, safety's not, it's, it's not the strongest position in this draft, but as we know, you can find great safeties anywhere in, in the draft. I mean, it's not a position where you're going to get draft guys high. It's one where you're going to find, you can find starters later on, you know, rounds three through seven, certainly you can find a guy. It's still a position, I think, incredibly undervalued that I'm still amazed, you know, it's 2023 and, you know, a lot of people haven't come around to the, to the value of the safety position. Yeah, Lance, what are your thoughts on, on the safety? Um, on the safety spot. And even also, you know, what Tim was saying about the running backs. Well, I, you know, f- first of all, I couldn't agree more about the running backs. You know, that easy yards is something that's very understated by people. And it's more, and they need a big play. They need a, a 20 yard. They need some, they need some, the, some big chunk plays, but what makes their offense go, what makes any offense go is if you can get some second four and unders. And if you can get some second four and unders, you're in really good shape. And everybody always talks about staying above, you know, staying ahead of the sticks. And that's great. But second and seven still, you're still in a run first kind of mentality, trying to get to third and four, trying to get it. If you're staying ahead of the sticks, you're staying ahead of the sticks. As a play caller, you want those. You want to throw a bubble screen or a check down and have it second and two. Second and two. Now that's when your big plays come. That's when you. That's when the when you look at Stefanski's call sheet. Those are shot plays. So now now you can get those big chunk plays and check downs, runs, things of that nature. That's I think they need running back. I think they did it with Elijah Moore, but you need a guy who can just. Not everybody has to do it right. Not everybody has to block everybody perfectly. Not everybody has to do everything right. And when you watch the Browns offense, that's kind of what you see. All 11 guys, and they do a great job of it, but all 11 guys have to be perfect to make the play work. And then all of a sudden they're in 13 personnel and they block everybody, but there's extra hats in there. And they do a great job, but it's second six. And everybody's good with that. But you're not going to get chunk plays at second and six because second and six, as a play caller, I'm thinking I got to get it to third and three. And I got to get it to third and two because that's manageable. Now, all of a sudden, you get a chunk play, you're second two, now you take a shot. As for the safeties, I couldn't agree more. The safeties are going to be now going to be in this more one high hat, and they're going to have to be rangy guys who make plays. They're going to have to have length. Uh, you know, I watch a guy like Daniel Scott uh, from California, and I, and I loved him. I loved his athletic ability. I loved what he did. You know, and then I went back and watched his film. There's a lot of guys like that. There's a guy um, like Quan Martin out of Illinois. He's really good. Um, <clears throat> Jair Brown ran a terrible 40, but you watch the tape. And once again, I don't like to always, uh, do the workout warriors. I like to see guys play football and he's really good. So when you talk about that one high at safety, that Schwartz is going to kind of rangey guy, they have to play, uh, that this pattern match cover three that Schwartz did with, uh, Saban back in the day and Belichick. So they're going to be, there's thing, but for the most part, they're going to be a lot. They're going to be back there a lot by themselves. They got a rangey, they got a tackle, they got to cover in the slot. They got to make, communicate. Uh, a little bit different than the two high hat look. They'll be in that a little bit as well, like everybody in the NFL is. But this is a little different safety. And I agree with Tim. There's a ton. You can get tons of go if you look at the NFL. There's tons of guys from three to seven um, that can do that uh, over the course of years. So I uh, couldn't agree. Not many people value those guys for some reason. But you get that one safety. It's really really important, especially in this defense. Tim, you mentioned there were some guys at, at that running back position um, that fit what you're looking for. Who are who are some names? Well, I mean, I'm kind of looking. You know. I'll give you a couple that are kind of like round three guys, round into round five. Um, I think top one of the top guys on my list would be Devin A. Chain from Texas A&M. This was a guy who was a All-American in track, you know, on a relay team. I think he was a first-team All-American in one of the relays, and that tells you the kind of speed he has. But not just a track star. This guy can play football. He, he's got incredible straight-line speed. But more importantly for me is he's got agility. He can, you know, change directions pretty quickly. And I think 
that's the most underrated asset is a guy who can change directions because if you know football is not a straight line game you got to be able to move you got to be able to change direction pretty quickly and Devin Achan can do that you can run him between the tackles if you need to but his game is get him out to the perimeter and let him do his thing and another guy who I can do who can do that to a smaller degree uh, no pun intended is Kansas State's Deuce Vaughn uh, this is one of my ultra favorite guys in this entire draft five six one seventy five i'm going to use this phrase when i describe him a lot he's short he's not small there's a big difference i think between you know saying he's short and he's small obviously you can't do anything about the fact that he's five six but solid weight for that size of 175 his game is all about you know just working in the open field he's fast he's so fluid he just knows how to find space and you know if you're looking for a pass catching guy out of the backfield deuce Lancer guy put up a lot of Big numbers doing that for K-State was a big reason why they won the Big 12. There's a lot of Darren Sproles comparisons naturally because of the size and because of where he went. And you can even see that a little bit in the way Deuce Vaughn plays. I know it's not your typical running back archetype. You wonder, you know, 5'6", how's he going to hold up? How's he going to run team tackles? He's not, a, he's not a between the tackles guy. He's a perimeter guy. You can deploy him in bubble screens. You can deploy him in dump offs. He can even be a safety valve in certain scrambles, scramble situations or screens. He's just a guy you get the ball to, get him on the perimeter, and let him do his thing. And then, Lance, were there any um... – any offensive lineman that you had in mind specifically? That, that uh, there's liked? a guy from uh, there's a guy from BYU. There's a couple. There's a guy from Chattanooga, Curtis. Uh, he's a guy who is undervalued. He played guard. Um, really liked uh, his film, and he had him at guard. But he's uh, he has tackle measurable. He's a 35 inch reach, um, very violent space. Um, really, really liked his film, and his best film was against Illinois, uh, Illinois, and um, Kentucky. So I really liked him. Um, I like the Duncan kid out of Maryland. I think he's a nasty run blocker. Um, I think he's athletic enough. He did give up a lot of uh, um, some pressures, but he's athletic enough to be taught um, how to pass protect. And I think obviously Browns Callahan can do that. When I look at offensive linemen, I'm looking for nasty first because you can teach if they're athletic enough. You can teach them to work in space and kick and quick and quick set and do all those things that we teach as a coach. But you can't teach them to be nasty. So whether it's pass setting a run, so the guys, and, and obviously the guys they got this, uh, the guy's name is Break Freeland, I believe, from BYU. Really liked his length. He's a super athlete, played basketball. But these guys all have a nasty streak, and then they can be taught how to pass block. And um, you have to be athletic enough to taught, uh, be taught how to uh, pass block, but you cannot be taught how to be nasty in the run game. And they're still going to be so fancy, still run guy. So um, I, you know, my favorite guy is the guy from Chattanooga. I just think he played guard. They have him valued at guard. He has tackle measurables. He's really, really nasty in the run game. I think he'll be around late in the draft, and I think he'll be a steal. I really like him uh, on his his film only. You know, obviously some of the other stuff, but his film is fantastic. Tim, are, are there guys you like and, and any of those names that Lance mentioned stand out? Yeah, I mean, obviously – I'm of the opinion that no matter how good your offensive line is, you always draft one no matter what. Obviously, I think Jalen Duncan's gotten a lot of attention, you know, for second round, so he might be out of reach. Blake Freeland was another guy I, I came to I really liked, you know, a lot of things I read. If When it comes to guard, there's really a guy that sticks out on my mind, day three guy, Brain Daniels from Utah. I just love the way Utah plays football. It's kind of Michigan-esque in a way that they lean on that run game. And I think Brain Daniels is a very good mover. I like what Lance says a lot about, you know, having guys who are nasty. I also think guys who can move are very important, especially, you know, with – 
the zone blocking style that Kevin Stefanski and Bill Callahan have worked with. Guys who are mobile, I guys who are mobile and nasty, I think, are what you're looking for. And Brain Daniels is a good mover. I mean, he was also a track guy in, in high school, so he's got plenty of athletic background besides just being an offensive guard. Kind of a guy, if, if you're looking to bolster guard depth, he's a guy I really like in day three, possibly as early as the fourth round. Okay, real quickly before we um, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to Tim's going to run us through some Andrew Berry guardrails that he's figured out. But before we do that, and we're going to really dig into to these positions as we go here over the next month. But I we did talk about defensive line and, and edge rusher, and I don't think we attached really any names to that. So, Tim, who are some names that maybe you would attach to those positions in the third or the fourth round? I would pick two that I would look at at 74. First one's a guy that Lance and I have talked about before is Nick Herbig from Wisconsin. Uh, he played at 228 pounds at Wisconsin and, because they ran a 3-4 base defense. He was an outside linebacker, but went up to 240 at the combine, which I thought was pretty important. Um, this is a guy who I think is one of the more ta- more productive pass rushers in this draft class. Can, certainly has linebacker skills, but I think his best ability is as a pass rusher. And I think he kind of falls into a Jeremiah Usukoromoa kind of situation where he's he's incredibly talented, but what's going to hurt him is he's largely a projection player because where are you going to play it? Because you don't know where you can play him. Are you going to play him off-ball linebacker? Or are you going to put him on the defensive front? And I, I we all saw, you know, JOK two years ago was a first-round talent, clearly, but slid all the way to 52, and Andrew Berry – Gambled on the talent. Obviously, the rookie paid off last year. Not quite as good a year as everybody kind of expected him to have. There were some circumstances that played into that, but I think Herbig's got a lot of ability. I think he, I think he bends the edge very well. And like I said before, you know, with the wide nine, if that's again where Jim Schwartz is going to go, which we you would expect based on you know his background, lighter edges are not a bad thing. I ta- I wrote before that you know I. I want to make sure I put this disclaimer out there. I'm not in any way comparing Nick Herbig to Hassan Reddick. Well, I just want to put that out there right now. But Hassan Reddick is only about 235 pounds. But the last three seasons, teams the the uh, Panthers, Cardinals, and Eagles, I know that's not the right order of teams, but they put him on the defensive line and he's had double-digit sacks every season. So certainly undersized guys can you know play well on the defensive front, especially even going back all the way to Elma's Doomerville. But I'm really a big Nick Herbert guy. And the other guy, maybe more of a typical build in a way, Andre Carter from Army. Now, Army is not your typical producer of talent, obviously. It's a service academy. Those are young men that have signed up to – they've agreed after college to do multiple years of military service as officers in the Army, Navy, or whatever. But Carter is going to be in the NFL, and what he is, he's got incredible bend for his size, massive size, very productive. I think the question with Carter is more just his build, but I think that's easily fixable because at Army you're not necessarily – doing strength training to prepare you for football. You also have to prepare for certain military service, different duties or whatever. So you put him in an NFL strength program and his body can change pretty quickly. So he's a guy, I think, you know, like Nick Herbig, day one, maybe situational guys that you throw in, you know, on those certain pass rush situations that over time you hope they can develop into quality potential starting defensive ends, but opposite Miles Garrett. Lance, what are some names that you like? Well, I love those two. And when you talk about the edge with, with shorts now, a lot of times you talk about the size of an edge. And, you know, a lot of times we talk about terms of being heavy. So if you look at most NFL defense, they're going to cover that tight end or that tackle. They're going to split the difference. So they're going to take their inside foot and they're going to split it right down the middle of that uh, that tight end or that tackle. That's when you need the size because you're going to 
immediately get engaged by somebody who's 300 pounds or 280 or 260, a tight end, whatever it may be. And that's when the run game starts. With this wide nine, you're going to be extended from that tackle. So the concern you have about setting the edge with these uh, smaller ends is okay. It's not that much because they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to set the edge by alignment. And a lot of times you set the edge by alignment. That's why you need some bigger DTs. That's why you need some guys. That's why my linebacker concern in terms of making tackles. Uh, I love the Ozama kid out of Kansas state. I thought he was highly productive. Um, you watch his film. He, he has a great motor, really long arms, uh, had uh, eight sacks, 46 tackles, forced fumbles around the ball. Again, he's not uh, a huge guy. Um, he's 6'4". Actually, he's, little, he's 250, so he's not, you know, he's not small, but he's not a 280, um, you know, set-the-edge guy. Uh, who, but once again, I don't think it's going to be uh, – I agree with Tim. And Tim gets the credit on, on uh, Nick Herbert because I, I didn't have him. But what he when you watch his film, I think he's a perfect fit because – he can play inside. He has a linebacker mentality. He has linebacker skills. He can play C-gap to C-gap if they put him inside. And when you think about Schwartz, I always I went back and watched some, um, some, te- uh, some Eagle stuff. And when they talk about matchups, what he does in the matchups, he's going to find the matchup. That means you have to be flexible in where you go. So he can line up. He can, you know, one of the things he'll do, he'll go wide three, wide five, and then he'll put that backer right up on the center to cover everybody. That doesn't matter what position you play. You saw that with Miles Garrett this year. So he's highly flexible. He's an edge guy. Uh, really like his film, but I also think he can play the backer. I think he's uh, he reacts well enough. He plays great in a short area. Um, did not look at him really too much until uh, Tim had mentioned it, to, and I couldn't agree more. He is a guy who's ultra flexible. He can play multiple positions. He can stand on the edge. He can be uh, uh, a situational guy right now, but he's also a guy who can win a lot of matchups, and he's a guy who can play a lot of different positions. Uh, true defensive end, I'd probably go with Azam out of Kansas State. I really like him. I like Carter's length. I think he can be um, the senior boy. I didn't like how Carter, I think Tim's right on that. He didn't hold up in the run game very well just because he's tall and people got under him a little bit. All those things are correctable. Can't teach six, seven, long arms, ability to run. He played in coverage in college. So, he, you know, he did a lot of different things. So um, those would be my guys. I agree uh, with Nick and, and Ozama would be my other guy. Okay, there we go. Let's take a break. When we come back, Tim is going to run us through some Andrew Barry guardrails. We're also going to try to do every week uh, on this draft pod, we're going to try and do our own little Browns mock draft. So we're going to use some different simulators. Uh, We're going to use PFFs this week. Uh, That's all coming up here on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast and lobby with Tim Bielik and Lance Reisland. Uh, look, we normally save this for the end, but let's do this now. Tim, tell us what you're working on. What can people expect? Where can they find you? Well, right now what I'm working on is I've got, you know, my re- final ranking of the top, the strongest and weakest position groups in the NFL draft. So uh, obviously there's been some shuffling from the beginning of the draft cycle to the end of the draft cycle as far as his ranking goes. And the biggest thing that I think is, you'll see when I do these final rankings, they should come out within a few days is, you know, 
receiver for me has fallen a little bit. And I think a big reason for that is there's no consensus on who the number one guy is. There's no Jamar Chase in this year's draft. There's no Devontae Smith. There's no, you know, there's not even a, really a Drake London or a Garrett Wilson in this year's draft. There's depth. There's plenty of depth. You know, guys can go rounds two, three, four, five, but there's really no super top end guys you feel like are, are locks for that position. So they kind of slide for a bit. And what's really, I think, changed for me also a lot of people love this tight end class. You know, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame certainly got a chance to be a, the first guy, first tight end off the board. But there's a lot of these guys that really are great athletes and very good, could be very good players. I think Dalton Kincaid from Utah, Sam Laporta from Iowa, Luke Musgrave, Oregon State, Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State, which is where Dallas Goddard played his, his college football. And of course, he just, he, you know, he and his Eagles just got to the Super Bowl a year this past season. So those are two positions that really have changed a lot for me. So look out for those in the days to come. And all of those will be at Cleveland Icom slash Browns. And, and what's your Twitter? At Tim Bielik. All right. And that's, that's B. Go ahead. Yeah. That's B as in boy, I-E-L-I-K. And Lance, what are what are you what have you got cooking? Well, I'm working on since the Browns free agency, since the, who they picked up, it's kind of changed on what I feel like their immediate needs are. So I've kind of went back. I'm going to kind of match the um, combine guys and go back and watch your tape and, and see the fit and see if there's any guys who um, had great combines but maybe don't match up on the film, but their numbers. You get some guys like I, the guy, Zach Koontz from Old Dominion. He's a tight end that maybe had, maybe, maybe had the best combine physically of any tight end ever. And you want to go back and watch that film and see if it matches up. And you, you want to, uh, like, that's how I looked at Daniel Scott in terms of a late-round safety. Uh, so I'm just going to work on guys who uh, had a really good combine um, and see if the film matches up because I always believe in the film more than, like, that's why I never really do another combine or another mock draft. They just kind of say, when you watch the film, this matches up. I'm also going to do some position groups in terms of rounds three to seven. Guys who uh, on film are really, really good and kind of instead of just best players, but kind of fit the need of the Browns in terms of a safety being a one high hat or a Jack Campbell inside or uh, a defensive tackle. So those would be my upcoming uh, upcoming things. All right. And those will also be at Cleveland.com slash Browns. I also saw you've been you've been doing some stuff for the Bengals. So Cleveland.com slash Bengals to see uh, some stuff about Joe Burrow and, and some other Bengals related things. And, and where are you on Twitter, Lance? It's just at Lance Risland. All right, and that's uh, R-E-I-S-L-A-N-D. Uh, okay, let's get back to it. Tim, Andrew Barry is going into year four, and there are certainly, we, we're learning things about him. We're learning things he likes. Uh, none of this is, you know, set in stone, uh, especially because these have been weird years. You know, with the COVID year now, that's catching up. So we do have some older prospects uh, in the pipeline than normal, but... As you've sort of seen what Andrew Barry has done in his first three drafts, what are some sort of guardrails, some things people should watch for when, they, when they're coming up on that number 74 pick and they're kind of looking at maybe who are some guys Andrew Barry would like, who are some guys that maybe they, they would rule out? Yeah, I think you kind of you kind of hinted at the first one, and that's player age. And I, I forget where I saw this graph. I think it was Sharp Football might have had this graph where it's like all 32 GMs kind of plotted as far as, you know, prospect age, and there's kind of all this whole cluster on one side. All alone on the one side, the younger side is Andrew Barry. And looking at for three years of draft history, only once has he taken a player who on draft day 
was 23 years old. That was Isaiah Thomas from Oklahoma. That was a seventh round pick. So I think he's naturally, naturally leaned towards the younger prospects. And there's reasons why for it. Obviously, if you're, you know, coming down the draft early, you know, there's a, probably a good reason for it. You, you know, guys who are coming out, you know, they got, they forgo their eligibility are naturally going to be younger guys. And, you can see that, you know, if you're, if you're younger, if you're 21 year old coming to the NFL, you get two years of the pro development versus a 23 year old guy who is in college for those two seasons. Obviously, you're going to get a little more, I think, out of NFL development. So I think, you know, that's kind of been how I've influenced a little bit and kind of where I've been looking with some of these prospects where I kind of look when I do, you know, mock draft things in my mind as far as, you know, who the Browns will be looking at. I don't know if it should necessarily be eliminator for guys, but I do think it's essentially kind of been a tiebreaker for some of these guys. You know, if, if, if guys are tied, it seems like Andrew Barry always leans towards the younger players. And you also hinted at this, it gets difficult necessarily to do that, especially in the later rounds, especially nowadays, because because of the of the COVID pandemic, you know, the NCAA allow all these guys to have an extra year of eligibility. So you have these sixth year, as we call them, super seniors. So the, those guys are 24, 25 years old into these drafts that will probably slip later and later. And, and naturally, as you go into drafts, the pool gets older and older. And in some cases, it's unavoidable that you're going to take an older player. So that, to me, is, you know, the biggest, you know, number one Taking to watch for Andrew Brayden. This was a smaller one, number two. I actually had to do the math on this again was he leans heavily towards power five prospects. Now, most GMs naturally do because that's where the vast majority of, you know, players are. But, you know, looking at Andrew Brayden's track record, 24 draft picks he's made. 19 of those came from power five schools. So that's an average of about, that's a rate of about 79.2%. And to give you a comparison, John Dorsey, when he ran his two drafts in Cleveland, 62.5% of his prospects are power five. So he leaned more outside the power five, much more than Andrew Berry, who really has avoided that to an extent. But certainly you can find great players outside the power five. And certainly Browns should be, I think Browns seem like they're counting a little bit on, you know, growth of Alex Wright, who came from UAB and Jerome Ford, who played at Cincinnati. You can find players of those smaller schools, but Berry leans heavily towards those power five guys. Lance, when you hear some of those things, um, you know, I'm just saying Greg Newsom to me has been like the poster child of, of some of that stuff. And he's a guy that he's going into year three and he's going to be younger than some of the prospects we might end up discussing as, as we do our mock draft later. He was born in 2000. He's going to be 23 here in May. And, and I'll never forget that Andrew Barry, one of the things he pointed out when he after he took Greg Newsom on the Zoom call we had was, he was a three-year player who was still only, I believe, 20 years old at the time when the Browns drafted him. So age is certainly a, a factor in this. When you hear Tim kind of lay out those guardrails, what are your thoughts? Well, I've always been I've always been a believer at any level. But, you know, from college to the pro, it's I, age. For me, skill guys don't matter in age. And, you know, sometimes you want it's good to see the Browns taking a look at some guys' defense and offensive line because I always look at it with – if you look at college, for example – you know, you go into college, you're an offensive lineman, you're 18 years old, you're a baby. You graduate at 20, 21, 22 years old, you're a grown man. And it's very much a similar thing uh, as being out there watching the Eagles this year when the Browns were there. It's I the the guard the the age of a defensive lineman for me, it's a short window. I think those guys gotta be older. I think those guys gotta be seasoned. And I think um, even if you get a college guy who's 24, 25, to me, that tells me he's older. And it's different than a skill guy. So when I think about the Browns, if you think about last year's defensive line, and we, I talked about this last August 
uh, from when I first met you guys. The defensive line to me, I thought they were, it was the style. It was a style and age. They were all young. They were all one gap guys. They were guys who like to penetrate, guys who like to pass rush, guys who like to get in the box score. For me, defensive linemen got to be boring guys, especially those guys inside. If you look at the guys who are boring and who are good, they're usually 28 to 33 years old in that, you know, there's give or take some ages, but they're guys who are grown men and they've been in an NFL program for a long time. They have families and they're able to anchor in there and they're just old grumpy guys. And I think the Browns, I, I it seems like the teams um, are successful. They have, all have their own plan. But for me, it's always been skill guys. You can get a 19, 20-year-old skill guy, defensive back, back seven guy, receiver, DB. Those interior guys where football is won, and I don't care where the NFL is going, you win or lose up front. And those guys up inside have got to be older, mature guys uh, for to have success. And I, at least it seems that way. And I think the Browns, as they start to go into, you know, as they move forward, I think you're going to see um, some more age with the defense, you know, so with Tomlinson a little bit. You know, you're going to see some guys not only are bigger, but some guys who have a little bit of age and a little bit of uh, uh, experience. Um, taking on doubles and taking on and reaching in, you know, zone and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that'd be my only thing is just that, you know, and then obviously the power five, you know, that's interesting. It's interesting. I didn't realize, I didn't know those numbers and I didn't know that they draft like that. It makes sense in terms of you're, you're playing the best players, but I also think about in terms of some guys are really good. Some guys are babies when they get to college and within, you know, 24 months, they really, really grow. That's why you get the guys from Division Two and Division Three. So I think you know you got to look at everything. But I, 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 the Power Five thing makes sense just because that's where the that's where the that's where the best football players are going. So you know it's it's the offensive line. But as you were talking there, Lance, one of the guys that popped into my head was Joel Batonio. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a guy who's 31 years old now, and it's it feels like he's been good his whole career, but it feels like he's just now. Like he's starting to build that Hall of Fame case now. He's getting these All Pros, and he's just getting better and better as, as he gets older. I mean, even at age thirty-one, you think this guy probably still has, you know, unless he gets hurt, which he just doesn't do anymore. Um, this guy might have five, six productive years left. Um, just that, you know, there's an interior lineman on the offensive side of the ball who you, you kind of see as you get older and you kind of learn things and you get to know guys more and more and learn the little tricks of the game. I mean, well, that it interior really stuff, it really does that, change you. Yeah, that interior stuff is a whole different world. That if you, you know, if you ever get to go to a practice at an NFL level, go down and watch those guys inside. It is, it is all out warfare. It is grown men who are 300 pounds running into each other. And I think, like you said, the the, the techniques and the, the things you learn and how to stay healthy. And um, you're, you know, when you look at like young guys who are coming in 21 years old. Well, I don't, I didn't want to, I don't want to be judged when I was 21 years old, but you look at Joe Batonio, who's now 31, he's a grown man. And that has a lot to do with how you take care of your body and what you do uh, with your family. Usually you're in a family then, and um, you know, you're taking, you're sleeping and you're drinking water and you're doing all the things you're supposed to do. You're exercising properly and you're flexible and range of motion. You come in at 21 years old, you're coming out of college. That's not what you're doing. You know, you're, you're not doing those things. And I just think it. I just think that t- those interior guys have to have some season to them because it's that's in a different world down there. Those guys, I, you know, I know the NFL has turned into a pass league and they do all kinds of stuff. It will always come down to offense and defensive line for me. Whoever wins up front is going to win the game mostly. Yeah, and kind of piggybacking off what Lance said, I, I wrote about this, you know, at the beginning of the draft cycle. You know, why I thought, you know. 
anybody expecting the Browns to take an off, have an immediate impact defensive tackle in this draft was going to be disappointed is because those guys do take a long time to really mature. And I mean, it's a hard, it's probably the hardest position to adjust to because you're going up against grown men every single day. There's nuance that you have to deal with. In addition, you can't, you can't just mash in the middle. You have to understand, you know, taking on double teams that you can't always like, like you said, Lance, almost like try and like get the sack every single play. You have to kind of hold your own. You kind of have to hold the ground and let everybody else, you know, you make job make the job easier for everybody else. And I think that's why I was kind of in the mindset of when the Browns approached the, this offseason, defensive tackle is a need they had to absolutely fill in free agency. Everything else I think you can get away with more in the draft because you can develop a lot of, of the positions. Defensive tackle, they need to help now. And very rarely are you going to find a defensive tackle who can step in and be a star from day one. Those guys are, you know, year two, year three. Those are the, those are the times when those guys kind of start to pop. All right, one more break here. When we come back, we're going to try to do a, uh, a mock draft here on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Tim Bielik, Lance Reisland, we are talking NFL draft. So we are going to try to do a Browns mock draft first four rounds here. Uh, this is always a little, uh, it's a little rough sometimes on a podcast, but uh, we're going to try to... Um, try and get through these Browns picks. So I have our mock draft simulator. We're using PFF today for our mock draft simulator. Can you guys both see that on your screen right now? Yep. Okay, perfect. So before we get started, I just want to know, because look, we don't get to talk about this anymore, covering the Browns, but I just want to know if you're the Carolina Panthers sitting at pick one, which quarterback are you taking? Tim, who do you like? I know the size is, you know, going to hurt him in some ways, but I think Bryce Young. I mean, if he was 6'2", about 210, 220 pounds, we'd be talking about the perfect quarterback almost. Everything but the size is absolutely perfect when it comes to Bryce Young. It's the anticipation is incredible. The way he improvises is something you need to have in a modern quarterback. And, I mean – He's just incredibly productive. I thought he did a lot. You know, he did a lot of great things, even when the talent around him started to decline. He didn't have the receivers that he, in 2022, that he had in 2021, when he was just simply outstanding, helped the Tide get to a national championship game. But I think if if a team can protect him, you've got something special in Bryce Young. If, like I said, he were a little bigger, it'd be a no-brainer, but it's because he's 5'11", under 200 pounds, that that's why he might not go first. I, I agree with you on that. Um, you, you basically just echoed my sentiment, or I'll echo your sentiment, sentiments uh, on that. Um, I, I just Every time I've watched Alabama and Bryce Young, I've just loved what I've seen. But if I'm a GM and I'm picking my franchise quarterback – I'm going to be nervous picking somebody that's that size. I'm going to be nervous about his durability. And, and if he can hold up, I know that it wasn't really an issue at Alabama, but it's just different in the NFL. But when you watch, I mean, I mean, when you watch this guy throw Lance and, and you watch him and he makes, makes clutch plays, he's the whole package outside of the size in my mind. 
Yeah, I just actually I'm writing an article on it right now. So I've watched uh, every throw from this year from both quarterbacks, and uh, it is razor thin in terms of uh, the ability to improvise outside the pocket. Uh, Stroud for me is my number one pick, and the reason why is anticipation, uh, his ability, uh, his his ability to process, and his accuracy. Uh, all things that once again I would not be shocked or go. I think uh, you know he's a ton better. Uh, it really came down to what you guys are talking about size and uh his when i saw him run um in the national you know when he was uh you know in the playoff uh that kind of sold me on Stroud because i didn't want to see his movement outside the pocket and those third and fours are huge in the nfl where you just get the the quick quarterback run uh on third and four third and six third and eight and i believe he can do that so i think he can move outside the pocket but i have yet his ability to throw the ball from the pocket with anticipation his ability to process what he's seeing and his accuracy uh, has made him. I like Stroud more than I like um, uh, Young, but it's really, really close. And all the things you guys are saying, for me, it really came down to size. And uh, I've heard some people say, I don't think, um, you know, I don't know how much of a big deal it would be. I look at like Tagulo, I look at Tua, that's hurt him in terms of they're just such big guys, they're just such big men. It doesn't take much. Um, you know, when you're down there, this is, you know, I've been involved in my in football for 40 years. And this is the first time that, you know, for three weeks when I met, you know, met Dan and, and those guys down there, like I got to be down there and watch them, the size and speed of those guys. There's something to be said about if you're under 200 pounds, it's, can you make 17 games? And he does extend plays. And when you extend plays and you run around, you're going to take some shots. And it's going to be a lot different. You know, even though you play at Alabama, that would be my only concern as a as a football coach. I'm simply looking: um, can he survive 17 full weeks? Can he survive in the cold? Can he survive um, with the beating that you know? Regardless of how how well you're protected, you're going to take some hits. You're going to take, and that'd be it. Can you survive? You know, weight in the NFL as a quarterback comes down to survival. Those big guys, they can just you know, they can just take some hits. And Stroud's a bigger, bigger guy, and I think he's, uh, I think he'll be, I think he's going to last longer. I don't know if he's going to be better, but I think he's going to last longer. Yeah, I think that's what makes this so interesting because it really is. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm with Tim. I think if Bryce Young were 6'2", 220, people would have tanked for him. Um, yeah, I but... agree with you. That I agree with. He's, <laughs> if he's 6'3", he's, if he's 220, I mean, he's going to go into like, I mean, you can argue, I don't know a ton about that, but you're going to go into like the John Elway type the uh, Andrew Luck type breakdowns, right? Where those guys who, Tim, you guys who do the draft all the time, you're talking about like elite of the elite, right? Because he does everything right. And the, the problem would be is that, you know, you're, you, it, would he be available for 17 weeks? But if he's 6'3", you know, 220, you're, 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 you're an argument, maybe some of the best film breakdown ever. Yeah, and you talk about guys to tank for, just wait till 2024, Caleb Williams <laughs> from USC. I mean, mm-hmm. Elite already, elite from day one. That's a dude teams are going to be tanking for, I think. Uh, I mean, the Rams have basically declared that they're they're throwing away this season. So we'll see if they uh, we'll see how far they go to try and keep <laughs> Caleb Williams in Los Angeles. Um, but yeah, there's going to be some teams going after him for sure. Um, so if hey, if you're if you're a contender and you're a team that has some of those teams on the schedule, get yourself an easy win. Okay, <laughs> let's do this here. Um, pulling up the mock draft simulator, we're going to start the draft and we're going to fly through here to the Browns pick at number 74, their first pick. So uh, let's see, 
the picks right before them. Um, we have the Raiders uh, to Clark Phillips the third at number seventy. At number seventy one, and I'm probably not going to say this name right, but it's uh, Irvon Dexter Senior from Florida uh, going to the Saints. Marvin Mims, the wide receiver, goes to the Titans. Derek Hall, edge rusher. Uh, goes to the Texans with a pick that they acquired from the Browns. Tim, are there any of those names? Uh, Andre Carter went 69 uh, to the Rams. Any of these names right before the Browns that you kind of wish would have been there for you at 74? I know this is going to be, you know, a little less priority after, you know, trading for Elijah Moore and signing Marquise Goodwin, but Harvin Mims was what is one of my guys in this draft. I felt like every t- every single time I've watched Oklahoma the last two years, he did something incredible. He was just a big play machine, absolute speed, game-breaking speed. He's small, obviously not as big as you would like at the receiver position, but you know you'd overlook that. I think when you have a big playmaker like Marvin Mims, and honestly, even considering the additions of Elijah Moore and Marquise Goodwin, probably because of the injury to Michael Woods, Mims is still a guy I would look at honestly if he were there at seventy-four. Okay, so here are. Here's our list of best available. And if you guys want me to, I can pull up positions to see if somebody's still there. Um, I can search a name. But right now, our best available, and this is off PFF's board, uh, Tank Dell, the wide receiver out of Houston, Garrett Williams, cornerback out of Syracuse. There's Nick Herbig, the edge from Wisconsin. Uh, there's a, a cornerback, if we want to go that way, Travius Hodges-Tomlinson, Michael Wilson from Stanford, DJ Turner, uh, Anthony Johnson, a safety from Iowa State, so um, we can you guys. I'm going to let you guys decide who you want to pick here. Uh, but if there's some some position you want me to look up, some name you want me to search to see if they're still available, I can do that. But are there, is there somebody you like here, Lance? Yeah, is, I'm it, I mean, go, is it Herbig? No, I'm going to go. I'm 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 not going to take Herbig, even though I love him. I'm going to go because I, I'm going easy yards. I'm going and I had I thought he'd be gone. I'm going Tank Dell. Okay, and I'm going that, simply. I'm going simply because of what we talked about early. He is he was ultra productive two years at Houston, a thousand yards plus. Uh, I actually thought he would be go higher in this. Um, I like him and I like Josh Downs, but in terms of stop and start, sudden playing the slot receiver, uh, kick returner possibly. Uh, once again, I consider him more of a player than a position, and his ability to get easy yards is why I was, if he was there at 74, I would go tank Dell for sure. Tim, what do you like here? I, I would have gone Herbig as well. The other name that stood out to me, I know he's a corner, but DJ Turner from Michigan, you know, he, when I watched him play against Ohio state, I, he was one of the best players on the field. I don't know if the Browns would go corner that early again, but I mean, stranger things have certainly happened as as much as Herbig's there, I'm kind of in, I'm really interested in Dell. I got a chance to watch his highlights recently. I know he's you know skinny skinnier than I think a lot of teams would like. Doesn't fit the Andrew Berry guardrails, but I do think you know when you look at the talent Dell has, there's a lot to like about him. And also, I, I remember looking at the staff before, like he's five ten, but he was really productive in the red zone. That's typically areas where you see guys who are six two, six three, six four guys who win contested catches in those areas. Those are typically the guys who get the red zone touchdowns. Dell got a lot of red zone touchdowns, which tells me he's got some quicks. He's got the ability to separate. And we saw that a year ago with when the Browns added guys like Amari Cooper and David Bell, guys who are separators and receiver who can get off man coverage. So I think for this exercise, I would go 
I'd be interested in Tank Dell. Maybe later in the draft, you want a receiver. Jonathan Mingo from Ole Miss is a guy I really love. Big guy, 220 pounds, who can play the slot. Just explosive athlete. All right, so I think we actually have some consensus here, and we're going to go ahead and draft Tank Dell uh, with that pick. So we are moving on now to the Browns' next pick. It is their comp pick uh, that they got when Kwesi Adolfo Mensa was hired away by the Vikings. Uh, they are on the clock now at number 98. So some players that went just ahead of the Brown, uh, just ahead here. Uh, Byron Young, the edge from Tennessee, went 93 to the Panthers. Dorian Williams, the linebacker from Tulane, went to the Eagles at 95. It was Zach Pickens to South Carolina. Uh, Zach Harrison, the edge rusher from Ohio State, goes 96 to Air to the Cardinals. And then Washington takes Mike Morris, the edge from Michigan. Tim, any of those names there that, again, you wish were here? I would say Harrison because, I mean, he may not fit your typical, you know, Y9 type defensive end because he doesn't have a lot of bend to him, didn't test well with the agility. But what I think he is, he's he's more of your power end who could be an edge setter. If you can replace some of the edge setting that you lost with Jadavian Clowney going elsewhere, I think that's going to be pivotal. Okay, some players left here on the board. Uh, man, they keep showing us Tanner McKee, the quarterback out of Stanford. We're not we're not going to take old Tanner there. Uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson still on the board in this simulator. Anthony Johnson, the safety from Iowa State, still on the board. Uh, there's your guard, Lance, maybe a, a guard on the board. Still Chandler Zavala from North Carolina State. Isaiah McGuire, the edge out of Missouri. Uh, Jamie Robinson, the safety from Florida State. Carl Brooks the edge from Bowling Green, and I think he might be a little bit more of an interior guy. Uh, Here's a couple halfbacks to Wayne McBride and Tank Bigsby. Tim, is there, or actually Lance, let's start with you. Is there anyone on this list that we're looking at that stands out to you, or is there anyone you want, any position you want me to look up, any name you want me to look up? Well, I agree with uh, Harrison. I think I wish Harrison was there because he, what he gives you is he can bump down to that three technique. So he can set the edge on first and second down. He can bump down inside. Uh, he's, he'll be pretty good down to the three technique. No, I don't need you looking anybody up. I really like Carl Brooks. I liked him. I liked him at the Senior Bowl. Um, I think he's a perfect fit for the Schwartz defense. He can play wide three, wide wide three, wide five, wide nine. Really athletic. Um, I thought he'd be a little bit later, and then he's kind of tested well and does some other things well. So obviously, I you know I don't know the draft quite like you guys do, quite like Tim does, but I really liked him on film. I like what he did. I'm gonna. Go, I like Carl Brooks. All right, Tim, is there somebody you want to make a case for here, or are you on board with Carl Brooks? Where do you want to go here? I'm on board for an edge, but it's a different one. I I like Isaiah McGuire from Missouri. Guy's got good size. I think he tested really well at the combine. 10-yard split of 1.59 seconds, a relative athletic score, scale 1 to 10. It's a 9.53 agility. It wasn't great, but what I think with McGuire, you know, watching his highlights, he's got a really good motor. He pursues well. He's just relentless, and I think going back to what Lance said, you know, about, you know, offensive linemen, I, it seems like he's got – McGuire's got a little bit of nastiness to his game, and, you know, having guys who are relentless, and, you know, with with McGuire, he may not be as agile, but I think he makes up for it, which is explosiveness. That 10-yard split tells me he's got a really good first step, and if you if you got outside leverage already because you're a lineman, if you've got explosiveness off that edge, that can almost be as good as agility, I think so. McGuire obviously produced pretty well in the SEC, so I think that would put me in the McGuire camp. All right, Lance, are you all right if we take McGuire here? I'm okay with that. I like that. the 10-yard split. Not, I don't know. I haven't watched a lot of film on him. I do agree the film I have watched, he plays with a lot of passion and a lot of, a lot of zest. So he's, 
you know, I like guys who are twitchy when they're in their stance, and he's a guy who's twitchy when he's in a stance. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm for sure comfortable with that. All right, so we're going to go edge rusher here. We, we, everybody's on board with with the D lineman, and we're going to go ahead and take Isaiah McGuire with this pick out of Missouri. And uh, Lance, if this pick ends up being wrong, you can walk around the the facility uh, and and side eye Tim and be like, I can't believe you made us take that guy because look what Carl Brooks has been doing. Absolutely. Uh, but, <laughs> anyway, we're going to get a good night's sleep here and come back in round four. Uh, pick number 111 on the clock. Jamie Robinson at 110 just went to the Falcons. A few more. Our buddy Tanner McKee finally off the board at 109 <laughs> to the Raiders. Uh, moving back up to pick 106, the Colts took Trey Palmer. I know that's a speedy receiver. Some Browns fans are looking at it. 107, the Patriots took Carl Brooks. Uh, again, Byron Young goes to the Broncos at 108. Then it was Tanner McKee and Robinson at 109 and 110. So the Browns are on the clock at 111. Tim, again, I'll ask you, anybody here in this list just before the Browns went that you would have liked to have fallen a couple of picks? I would say Robinson just because, you know, again, the need for another other safety depth is good. I've been looking at a lot of guys, safety who are like center field type guys, you know, deep safety guys. That's why I was big on – I was I thought it was a great move that they made to sign Juan Thornhill in the offseason because I think he's really good at that, you know, deep center field safety safety role. I think he complements Grant Delpit very well, who I think has more strong safety skills. So I think, you know, a guy like Robinson who's got a little got some experience playing deep, I think he would have been a really good fit as a rotational third safety. Okay, Lance, we've got uh, Anthony Johnson Jr., a safety from Iowa State. Uh, Zavala still on the board, the guard, Kobe Turner. Uh, interior lineman from Wake Forest, uh, Moro Ajomo from Texas, another interior guy. I mean, we've, we just took a D lineman. I don't know if we're going to go that route again, but we always could. Um, who do you like here? Who are some names that maybe Ronnie Hickman, the safety from Ohio State, still on the board? Who, who's a name you kind of like here in this spot? At, at one uh, I like Hickman. I thought he was. He, I thought he was pretty athletic. I don't know they what they're going to do with the backup, but he's a guy who um, can play that one free safety. Uh, how about is where did Blake Free? Uh, where did Blake Freeland go? I know I'm sure he's gone. And then uh, Jalen, and then Jalen Duncan out of Maryland. Uh, let's see here if I can find. Um, what was the first one? Blake Freeland. Okay. Um, he is not on the board, so I'm not 100 percent sure where he went. I'm, I guess I can't search where he went. Okay, uh, but it looks like he's not on the board. And who was the other one? How about Duncan out of Maryland? Jalen Duncan. Uh, I think he's gone too. Well? Yeah, it looks like it looks like he's gone as well. Hmm. I don't know. You got uh, What do you guys think? You guys like I do they need to go I'm going to go a little bit. I'm going to go with my favorite film breakdown this year cuz I I, I cuz Jack Campbell's going to be gone. He was my one of my top I'm. What round are we in? Three still? No, we're in four. Four. We're in four. By the way, um, Lance, I found them. They actually went back to back in this simulator. Blake Freeland went to the Colts. Okay. Jalen Duncan. Jalen Duncan. That was at seventy nine, and at eighty, Jalen Duncan went to the Steelers. Really like them on film. Uh, the, you know, I agree with Tim here. I don't think you can have enough offensive linemen. Um, I'm not sure. This is where you guys will help me in terms of like your need compared to like what's left. I mean, I mean, who do you like here, Tim? Is there somebody that you like? 
There are a few guys I like. I, I can get on board with Ronnie Hickman. I mean, there's, he does a lot of things pretty well. Maybe not necessarily as elite as you like, but, you know, solid across the board. You know, does a lot of things. The guy – I mentioned running back earlier. I saw Ty J. Spears from Tulane one off the board. I love watching his highlights. It's one of the most fun highlight films you're going to watch. Guy who was absolutely a dominant of the Senior Bowl, put on a show against USC in the Cotton Bowl. I know USC does not have a great defense, but – I thought he was tremendous in that game. Kendra Miller from TCU, the running back, interests me as well. I mean, I I, I, I I was having a conversation on Twitter with somebody a few weeks ago. They've said Kendra Miller was a really good shotgun running back. And I think if you're going to be in shotgun a lot with Deshaun Watson, Kendra Miller is a guy who can fit that. He's nim- He's got mobility. He's got some good size, about 220 pounds. You want to take some carries away from Nick Chubb and save him for, you know, save his legs possibly for the end of the season, possibly more for the playoffs. He's another guy I like. I'm also big on Moro Jomo from Texas. Size, young, so he's kind of a developmental guy, but he's really good against the run. Well, we everybody kind of mentioned Ronnie Hickman as, as a guy they liked here. Should we just go that way? Or Lance, was there a name that Tim threw out there that, that sounded intriguing outside of Hickman? Uh, no, I, I like Hickman. I, uh, all those guys he's talking about, I've watched them all. They're all really good. Tailback out of TCU, I like. I, I'm a, we'll go. I like Hickman. I think he's. Uh, I think he fits that one high hat kind of thing. The uh, the Browns are going to be moving to free safety type, rangy guy. Let, let's pull the trigger. We're going to take Ronnie Hickman out of Ohio State. So that'll be the third pick we're making for the Browns. One more to go here on the clock at number 126. We're only doing the first four rounds here. So Anthony Johnson's still on the board. Kobe Turner, Corey Trice, the cornerback out of Purdue. Uh, there's there's Kendra Miller still. Sean Tucker, Juice Scruggs if you want to go center. Um, so some names here. Some folks that went right beforehand. Uh, there's a Jomo who went 122 to Kansas City. Uh, Colby Wooden went to Seattle at 123, the edge out of Auburn. Uh, Jacorian Bennett out of Maryland goes 124 to Baltimore. And Roshan Johnson goes 125 to the Chargers. So, Tim, how are you feeling here about 126? I'm feeling it's time to add more skill. You know, Kendra Miller, like I said, you know, Productive in the run game is a big reason TCU got to the national championship game, even though he didn't play much of the Fiesta Bowl against Michigan with an injury. I don't know if it hurts him that his running, his backup was incredibly good in that game as well against what had, what had been an elite Michigan defense. But there's a lot to like about Kendra Miller as a guy who could split some carries with Nick Chubb and possibly be a receiving option. Lance, do you like that? I do. I mean, I, yeah. I'm going to throw a little wrench in here, though. I got a guy that oh. I really like on film. I want to know if he's still available. He might be. I like Payne Durham out of Purdue. Is he around? Payne Durham is that? Uh, uh, yes, he is. So you I'm a tight end here. I'm a bit. I you know he was. He gives you that 12, 13 personnel that I know the Browns will still get into. He can flex. He comes from a Brahm offense, which tells me he understands landmarks, spacing, route concepts. He can run. He, I've seen him in the slot. I've seen him at one, two, and three strong. Uh, I've seen him isolated weak uh, uh, in a three-by-one set. Uh, he played with, you know, other teams knew he's going to get the ball. He's very good in the red zone. He's long. Um, I'm not against – I like the, the Miller kid. I'm good there. Uh, I'm going to go – I'm not sure what they're going to do at tight end with um, Bryant. I'm going to go – I'm going to go – I'm going to say Payne Durham. Okay, so here's here's what we can do here, Tim. Well, first of all, what do you think of him? And let's also the Browns 
pick again in 14 picks. We're not going to go that far, but they pick again at 140 as well. Payne Durham, I thought, you know, had a really good bowl game a year ago against Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee looked like they were going to run away with that game. Obviously, they had Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, Hendon Hooker, who I think has got a chance to be a very good quarterback, even though he's older, coming off an ACL injury. He's got a chance to be good. I like, I really like Payne Durham. I, he's a, he's a fun player to watch just because, you know, put up a lot of plays, but a name I don't want to, I didn't mention earlier. I had in a previous mock and going back to what Lance was talking about, the middle linebacker spot. What about Ivan Pace from Cincinnati? Yes. Yes. He's, I'm a, He's sub six foot, but you know what? So is David Long. And that was a name I think Jim Schwartz brought up in his introductory press conference, you know, talking about linebackers. I think it's a similar thing with Bryce Young, where if Ivan Pace was taller, we're talking about him probably going as early as the second round, does all those things. He's aggressive downhill, makes a, he's just a tackling machine, went from Miami to Cincinnati, transferred transfer to Cincinnati for 2022, and, you know, played outstanding football for the Bearcats in 2022. I think he's a, he's a fun fit at linebacker, obviously smaller, but, you know, again, I think it, linebacker play in some ways is predicated on how your defensive tackles play. Now that you've kind of got some better tackle play there, especially if they – decide they want to sign out Woods, you know, you can afford to go get a smaller linebacker like Ivan Pace Jr. Lance, I think we just had a moment. Here's why. <laughs> Tim started to bring him up and you got excited. I think well, we might be I thought, I thought he was gone. I agree with Tim on there. And, you know, you watch Jack Campbell because of the combine. But I, I actually, in my original draft mock that I did a long time ago, I had him in round five, uh, Ivan Pace. And he had 100 – this year alone, last year alone, he had 137 tackles. 21 tackles for a loss, 21 and a half. He had 10 quarterback sacks, an absolute tackling machine. If he's if he's six one, six two, six three, he's a late. He might be a, a, a late round one pick. He is an absolute tackling machine. I I I saw him in high school. He's a wrestler. He is super super tough. He's explosive. Um, they brought him everywhere. He was they brought him in a gap. So he's again. They did a really good job. Finkel did a great job of bringing him A gap, B gap. Yeah, Tim brought up a. Uh, I got excited because that film, one of my favorite films. Again, he's just a guy. When you watch, you go, you know, five ten people will immediately get away from him. Man, is he a good football player? Absolutely, have no problem taking Ivan Pace. I, I mean, I think this is the pick. Yeah, I know Jim Schwartz doesn't necessarily blitz a lot, but could you imagine a blitz situation? A, a- Defensive back seven grouping that has Ivan Pace, J.O.K., and Grant Delpit, guys who all are really good playing downhill. You could, that really creates a lot of creative blitzing concepts. And those guys got to okay. be in line of scrimmage. He does a lot where they co- they walk up and cover everybody, and they got to be able to get out in coverage. And he can do that. He's explosive. Yeah, that's uh, that I'm all about Ivan Pace. I think we've stumbled. A cr- this was like a war room. We were we were throwing out names, and then all of a sudden. Ivan Pace gets thrown out, and everybody's just on board. Tim got me, with, Tim uh, got me excited quickly about Ivan Pace. Can they also get David Putney out of this? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. All right, so Ivan Pace is going to be the pick here, and that's going to do it for our four-round uh, Browns-only mock draft. Let's see what PFF grade, uh, grade gives us here. I don't – I don't care. I'm giving us an A no matter what. But oh, they did not like the Ronnie pick, the Ronnie Hickman pick. Uh, they gave us a C for that. But other than that, we come away with a B plus as our overall draft grade. It's Tank Dell at number 74, Isaiah McGuire at 98, Ronnie Hickman at 111, and that was also the one that I think we sort of had the most, the most directions we could have gone on that pick. I don't know that there was real consensus on that pick. That one ends up being our worst graded pick, and then Ivan Pace. 
I don't know. I don't think many. Uh, I don't think many people on this podcast agree with that B minus grade. I, I think we're running up there to give that an A. Yeah, I, I will say I'm not sure about PFF's grading system. I mean, all these players <laughs> technically by PFF border value. So why is Ronnie Hickman, who's who went seven spots after his rank a C, and Ivan Pace, who was eight spots a B minus? I mean, what gives with that? Tim and a lot of NFL people not entirely sure how the PFF grading system works. Uh, Lance, you like this draft? I do. You know what? I, and I like our uh, our teamwork here because our two ones that we really, really got along, we really agreed on was Dell and Pace. And that's our A and our B. That's our A and our B. So I, All right. I, I, it, I, I like it. I like McGuire. I think I like that nastiness. So I think that was a good choice. Uh, like you said, I'm not sure on Ronnie Hickman in terms of, once again, you know, are they, he's, I don't know if they're grading him as a one high hat. So uh, as a one high hat, I think that grades much improved. So yeah, I like, I like what we did here. All right, there we go. That was fun. That worked out pretty well. Uh, talking draft here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast with Tim Bielik and Lance Rice. And we're going to do this uh, every Thursday leading up to the draft. Uh, we'll give you some good draft talk. We'll try and do a new mock draft every week as well. Uh, I didn't think we would go an hour, but we did because that was awesome. <laughs> it's always fun to talk draft with you guys. So uh, just make sure you're a football insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. You can become one of our texters. Uh, you also get a newsletter every single day delivered to your inbox. Uh, that's written by a member of our Browns reporting team. Tim gets in on that as well. Tim also has to do a lot of the back end work putting that together. So we, all, we appreciate that, Tim. Uh, and of course, you get access to those exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. And Make sure you subscribe to the Orange Brown Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tim and Lance, appreciate the time. I'll talk to you both later.